Hi. Hi. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm fine. How was your week? It was okay. Yeah, I was trying to get the storage unit. I had to make, I had to, like, it was eventful day in general. I had to make phone calls. I had to order contacts. I had to bitch out the apartment complex for all the wasp nests that they didn't take care of on Friday. So um, that was, that was my week. That was the most eventful thing that happened this week. So. And you dyed your hair. It's yeah, really pretty. Yeah, I dyed and cut my hair off. All I did was cut mine. I didn't dye it. Um, I feel like I look more like a lesbian when I have my hair long. Yeah. And people seem to know that I'm not gay whenever I cut my hair. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it's because my hair is really poofy and I don't do anything with it when it's long. But, maybe. like, people really assume that I'm just straight up gay. It's because you have long hair and no nails. I play frisbee. <laughs> That's why. I've seen your frisbee team. <laughs> we are like half of us are gay. Yeah. Literally went to the gay bar with y'all. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, would you like to get into it? Yeah. Um Today I'm going to do kind of a wild case. <laughs> that was that face. It was like the ooh. <laughs> it's a wild case. So, Here's the thing. Today, we're talking about Betty Gore. Betty Gore. Have you heard of her? Only through you. This bitch wild. (laughs) Well, this whole story is wild. So. You've mentioned it to me before. I do not remember any details about it, other than there's a, a TV show about it, right? Yes, Candy. Candy. Very good show. I suggest anyone to watch it. So, let's 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 get into it. I'll oh no, she's getting comfy. <laughs> let's go on a journey. Oh no. So, on <laughs> the Friday the 13th, June of 1980, in a small room that was no more than 12 by 6, 12 by 6 feet, uh, with a washer, dryer, freezer, and a small cabinet, lay Betty Gore in a pool of blood and fluid so thick her arm looked like it was floating on the linoleum. Ew. Her lips were parted into a half grin. Her hair was tangled and sprawled all over the blood. Her left eye was wide open, but her right eye was missing. Missing? Along with the entire right side of her face Ooh. was gone um lying halfway under the freezer was a heavy wooden handled axe the axe man part two <laughs> well this was in texas oh oh well axe man well that's not that far <laughs> i really can't Axeman wait until we if we ever get to the point where we record ourselves recording the podcast, because the expression I was making as you were describing that, I was like, ugh. <laughs> so here's some background. Candy Montgomery and Betty Gore first met at the Methodist Church of Lucas, which was very different from other churches in Texas uh, because it was run mostly by women. 
like they even have they even had a woman pastor. Mm. Uh, in 1977, Candy moved to what they called the country, which was uh, Wiley, Texas, I think. <laughs> Progressive country. Nice, nice, nice. <laughs> it, uh, they called it that because it was like the growing suburban area of Dallas, basically. Uh, and that's where she had started attending the church, and that's where her and Betty met. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was in Collin County, which is about 20 miles northeast of the Dallas freeways. Uh, many of the men that worked, um, in Dallas as engineers and physicists and computer analysts, they lived in the Collin County area. Mm-hmm. Um... As Dallas was, like, growing during the 70s, a lot of people didn't want to live in the inner city, so that's why they were all moving out to to the, the country, as they were calling it. They were doing that in Midland during the boom. Everybody was living in, like, La Mesa, Seminole, yeah, all of, like, the happens. outside Big Springs, Big Lake, because it was, the city was, A, too expensive, and B, it was just, it was weird and growing because of the sudden influx of all people. It, it happens with every city that starts growing quickly. Yeah. Um, this area, it was pretty small, though. Um, the kids even went to school in, like, a little red schoolhouse. <laughs> like, like the one, wait, like the one in Holes? I guess. Yeah? <laughs> I mean, they weren't out in the desert. This is Dallas, but, but yeah. It's the image in my head of, like, being in elementary school and they had like the little red schoolhouse with the bell on top Um, and I grew up looking at that and thinking of the schoolhouse from Holes. See I always associated it with the Lulu cartoons. Lulu cartoons? I don't think I ever watched those. Really? Yeah. Oh they're great. I love Lulu. (laughs) They're also the cartoons are also from like the 60s or something like that. Mm. Like they're super old but I love them. It might even be older than the 60s. So, Little Red Schoolhouse. Yes. Um, the area was described as a fairly safe, untroubled, and pure area. So it was like the perfect place for people to live and like have a family and everything. Uh, so let's talk about Candy. Mm. What a name. So, well, her full name was Candace. But it's the 70s, so they call him Candy. Yeah, the 70s was when everybody had nicknames. I think my mom has a friend named Candy that (laughs) she grew up with. I hear Candy and I think of that song from like, I I have no clue if it was in the, I know it was in the 90s, probably the late 90s, early 2000s, I don't know. But there's a song named Candy, and I used to be obsessed with that song. I don't remember a single lyric now, but I loved it when I was like five. I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, I'd have to find it and I'll show it to you later. I'm sure. Maybe if I heard it. Probably. If you heard it, you would know it because it was all over the radio growing up. And it was something a five-year-old should not be listening. I remember the radio when I was five. Well, it's like, I say I say five, but like general, I don't, I don't know. I, there's a huge gap in my memory from my childhood, but I remember this fucking song. Anyways. Not right now, apparently. No. Um, <laughs> I've slept and had a mental breakdown since then. I don't remember very much. Well, so Candy 
Candy was, like, bored with her life, kind of. She mm-hmm. she was living a pretty okay life. She got her, like, dream home. It was, like, a pretty, like, it was a nice home. Uh, these, these people are, like, engineers and shit. Like, I'm pretty sure no one in this town was, like, suffering. Oh, yeah. The fucking engineers. I'm gonna marry an engineer. <laughs> I don't care if I love them. <laughs> You'll love their wallet, and that's good enough. Uh, That's all they need. (laughs) Uh, Why marry for love when you can marry for money? God, what I I would give to never have to think about bills again. Times are tough, man. Do what you gotta do. For real. But, so, so like, she was, she was pretty okay. Um, her and her husband weren't, like, they weren't having, like, a shit ton of, like, horrible arguments they had two kids a boy and a girl um she was a house she was a stay-at-home mom she didn't like she went to church she was in the choir she was just bored picture perfect housewife that's bored with her life yeah and she started talking to her friends about wanting to start an affair because (laughs) she was bored (laughs) <laughs> it's the she started talking to her friends about it it's like they were all at yeah. Olive Garden having fucking like brunch and she's like you know what I think I'm gonna do I'm gonna cheat on well, my husband well I think they were at church <laughs> that makes it worse or like a kid's birthday party or something. these are housewives these are <laughs> these are stay at home moms they're at, they're at the school PTA potluck and she's like you know what I think I'm gonna cheat I mean I think I'm gonna have an affair I'm really bored <laughs> she was she was described like as a very extroverted person. She was mm. very likable and like talkative and stuff. So for her, I guess like stuff like that, it was like kind of like a joke, but also not a joke. Mm. So like it was no big deal for her. Like that's what I'm thinking because I'm <laughs> kind of like that. Where like yeah, I'll joke like oh yeah, I'll fucking cheat, and then I'll be like no, I'm JK. But then I'm like. Mm. Mm, maybe. <laughs> You're like, mm, maybe depends on the circumstances. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, so Candy remembered the exact moment that she decided that the person she wanted to have an affair with was Alan Gore, Betty Gore's husband. Oh, yes, the perfect way to have an affair. Yes. Or for another woman's man. Um,. Sure, that's not gonna end up badly at all. I mean, at least then you both have something on each other, so he can't go telling your husband, because then you can go tell his wife. Yeah, that's true. Blackmail so, on both parts. I mean, if I was married and I was gonna have an affair, I would make sure it was with a married man. That's true. But not my husband. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh. Candy, uh, so Candy described it as, like, it was a night that they were all playing in the volleyball court at the church, like, the, there was, like, a once-a-week thing or something that a group of churchgoers would go and play volleyball together, um, and Candy and Alan were going for the same ball, and they, like, collided with each other, and Candy described Alan as smelling sexy. Oh, yes, the smell of sweat. That's the smell of sex. <laughs> Ew. 
You want to know what a guy smells like during sex? Get take get him running. <laughs> Ew. <laughs> See how long he lasts. If he can run a mile, he's good. <laughs> Either that or fuck a dancer. Yeah. See how long they can twirl. Mm-hmm. See how long they can move. Just the from the yeah. the lower half down. That's what I the hope he was wearing. for. <laughs> I hope he was wearing Old Spice while he was playing. Then it wouldn't be that bad. Did they have Old Spice in the seventies? Yeah. Really? Yeah, it's been around since like the forties, I think. I don't like thinking that people in the forties <laughs> smelt like that. <laughs> I just assume they all smelt like cigarettes and mold. <laughs> cigarettes so, and mold. Yeah. They just smell like mildew and like... It's, it's war. That's true. Dirt, you know, all that other shit. Um, so, so, Alan was, he was pretty active in the church. Uh, he loved kids. He loved his kids and everything. He was pretty outgoing. He sang in the choir with Candy he helped organize sports events in the community, and he he was like, he like had a sense of humor. He was kind of a funny guy. Uh, Candy thought that he might want to sleep with her too because he began joking with her more than he did with other women, and he would like tease her and wink at her at sometimes. Mm. Um, I don't know if that was just her having a crush, and she's like everything he does is like about me. <laughs> I was about to say because like. <laughs> I, I do that sometimes, where I'm like, oh, he was asking me a question. <laughs> Same. It's like, you kind of like, like them, me. you start looking for all of the cues. Yeah. <laughs> Trying to find, some, find a sign. Like an eye twitch is suddenly a wink, and you're like, oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> He's actually having a seizure. But... <laughs> He's having an aneurysm, and you're like, oh my god, does he like me? <laughs> So, <laughs> they they would talk longer after choir practice in the parking lot. Mm. Uh, Candy was twenty eight when the flirtation began. She was about to turn twenty nine. She she was very sexually frustrated. The sex mm. life with her husband was like dead. I guess it was not it. Mm. Yeah. One night after choir practice, this is where like. Candy's character description goes pretty hand-in-hand with her actions, because, like, she was known as being, like, she was very extroverted. She was, like, very forthright and everything. Mm. So one night after choir practice, she, she stepped, one night after choir practice, she stepped into Alan's car, and she confessed her feelings for him, and then just, like, dipped. <laughs> okay, she was like, "Hi, I'm attracted to you," and left. <laughs> Same though. Just being like, "Hi, I think you're hot." That's what I do. Whenever I even whenever being I like, text hey, people that, I'm like, "Oh, you're cute," and then I like throw my phone across the room and don't look at it <laughs> yeah. for like an hour. It's like that takes all of the boldness out of you for the rest yeah. of the day. You're just like, "Nope." And I'm a bold person. <laughs> yeah. Um. Same candy. Same. You have the Babadook in there. God, I hated that movie. So many people loved it. And they're like, it's a 
they're like it's a narration on depression and i was like it's still stupid like yeah why do you think so many memes are made from it like, <laughs> it's not a great movie no in the slightest no they ended it by feeding him worms so i was like what the fuck <laughs> is that i forgot about that He's, like, living in their basement. Like, does he even pay rent? Like, bro, get the fuck out. <laughs> Go to a doctor. Get some medication. <laughs> Who's depressed? Is it the is it the mother or is it the Babadook? I can't tell. Both. They're both miserable. <laughs> They're both miserable. <laughs> so, anyways. So, okay, so to describe Betty, let's move on to Betty. She was, she was considered pretty, um, she was, she was from Norwich, Kansas. She was described of ha- as having, like, a Hollywood smile. She was, like, one of the most popular girls in her town. In college, she met her math teacher, Alan, and she fell in love. Uh, when they got married, her family didn't really know what they saw in him because he was kind of plain looking. In it's kind of weird because like I read about the case before I saw the show and whenever I was watching the show they like made him look kind of like handsome or hot and I was like that's not what he looks like in real life (laughs) because I was like looking at all these pictures and then they made Betty look like I mean they still all looked like each other but like I don't know they made it look kind of off Mm, Hollywood at its finest. Yeah. They did do they did go pretty accurate though. They were pretty good. Um, in nineteen seventy is when they got married and that's when they settled in the suburbs of Dallas. Actually no. They settled way after that. But they married in January of ni- of nineteen seventy. When their first child was born, Alan was working for an electronic conglomerate and defense contractor company called Rockwell International. And in 1976, uh, when they were, while they were living over there, Betty got a job as a teacher at a public school in Wiley, uh, which, that, Wiley is about 10 miles east of Plano. She didn't really enjoy the work, um, she kind of hated being a teacher, (laughs) uh, and she really did not like being alone. Like, she hated whenever Alan had to travel for work. She was very, like, anxious. She did not, like, she didn't even want to be alone for a night. It made her very, like, anxious and stuff. Get a dog. Did they have a dog? They had, like, two dogs. Wow. I mean, it's different from having a dog than having That's your husband you've been married to for six years. That's true. <laughs> but still, I'm like, uh, how can you be anxious? with a dog I mean I get it I get it if the dog is like my dog because my dog's not a security system she's an I alarm mean, system that, that was just her she, like. she just got nervous whenever she was mm. <laughs> okay well well was she like I guess she's like a paranoid person huh yeah she was pretty paranoid mm, okay um in 1978 Betty wanted a second child and she was trying to plan the pregnancy so that it was born in midsummer, so she wouldn't have to take any time off of work the, for the school year. Hmm. Interesting. Alan, Alan, like, didn't really enjoy 
the trying to get her pregnant process because it was super mechanical sex. It wasn't like spontaneous or anything. It was always like on the days that she was fertile. It was every day that she was fertile. Um, it was like it was just a chore at that point. Yeah. And he started to resent Betty and his marriage, but like he claimed that his thoughts of Candy didn't mean that he had fallen out of love with Betty or that he wanted to hurt her. Uh, so about a week after Candy told Alan about her feelings, uh, they were cleaning up the gymnasium after a church volleyball game, and when they got out to Candy's car, she asked him if he wanted to have an affair. She started initiating it. Alan said that Alan had told Candy that Betty had an affair in New Mexico when they lived there, and that it hurt him really bad, and he didn't want to do the same thing to Betty, and he thought that it wouldn't be fair to her either since she had gotten pregnant at that point. Mm. Uh, Candy took that pretty well, like she accepted the rejection, but then Alan kissed her before leaving her car and like left, and she was like, what the fuck is that, bro? <laughs> I'm getting mixed signals now, I'm No, confused. literally, I would like drag him back, I would drag a man back in the car like, sir, <laughs> what are we doing? Like... <laughs> <laughs> what are, your what mouth are says no, but your lips say yes, <laughs> sir. <laughs> Figure it out. What do you want? <laughs> Where am I going? Okay. So, other than, like, the sex, though, whenever Betty was trying to get pregnant, there was really nothing wrong with Alan and Betty's marriage. Uh, they still, like, loved each other very much, and it was just, like, the sex life wasn't there anymore. He, he had heard from a couple of his friends, the Garlingtons, um, about this marriage program they went to called Marriage Encounter, and he wanted to try it out with Betty, but she didn't want to go, so they, they didn't do it. His friends said that it was, like, life-changing, like, their marriage was, like, so amazing afterward. Mm. Pat Montgomery and Candy Wheeler married in the early 70s. Pat was an electrical engineer at Texas Instruments. He, we can thank him for our... Our calculators for yeah. getting through fucking statistics yeah. and calculus because I didn't want to take that course, but I got put into it I forgot in algebra. That I, I forgot that I took a statistics class for my <laughs> mass comm degree. I took that one after sucked. I was put in remedial math in college they put you in statistics for remedial math no i i went into a remedial math class because my scores were so low i went into a yeah on my tsi so i got into i was forced to do a remedial class before i could do anything else and then immediately following that the only option that they would let me have is statistics that is the worst transition why not just college algebra yeah (laughs) I didn't do great in algebra either. <laughs> I passed, barely by the skin of my teeth. I'm not made for math. I wasn't bad enough. I have to thank him, though, because those the, the Texas Instrument Calculators got me through all of high school and college. <laughs> yeah. Now the Duke is upset. Um, while he was an engineer at Texas Instruments, Candy was a secretary, and that's kind of how they met. Mm. Candy grew up like as an army brat, her father was a radar technician in World War II, 
and he spent the next 20 years after the war bouncing from base to base, and she went, like, his family followed him, of course. She didn't really seem to mind the moving around that much. She was known to get a get along well with strangers and she was like very aware of her power over men because mm-hmm. she was like she was petite and she was cute and like you know talkative like yeah. she understood she was she, she was like that girl oh yeah basically um, I envy those women the ones that are able to be like mm, I know people want me and make yeah. it into a like use it as a power move I envy them. I just convince myself that everyone either loves me or hates me, <laughs> and either way, it makes me better than them. I just assume everybody hates me, and they're going to use me and then discard me. <laughs> I have depression, though, so... About two to three weeks after Candy approached Alan about the affair, he called her up and he asked if she wanted to grab lunch with him, um, and she agreed. That day was Candy's 29th birthday, from what I could understand, and Alan actually got her, like, a gag gift for a birthday. He got her a little card that said, for the last of the Red Hot Lovers, and then, like, a box of Red Hot candy. <laughs> um, I guess that won her over. <laughs> because within that same week... Alan called Candy again while Pat was at work, and they kept chatting about the affair. And then... Happy birthday, let's have sex. That's how every birthday should go. (laughs) Uh, After their first lunch, they met again, like, the next week for lunch at uh, somewhere close to Alan's office in Richardson, Dallas. So this whole ordeal went on for so long, like them debating on whether they should start an affair or not. Ridiculous how long they were talking about this. Like a few weeks, a couple months. No, months. months. This was months. That is a patient woman. in the making. (laughs) That is a patient man and woman. Yeah. Because like they, they started doing this like in the summer. And then in November, Candy invited Alan to her house for lunch, and she made some lasagna. And when he walked through the door, Candy had made, like, two huge, like, overhanging signs over one of the doorways. And uh, she had one with the column that said, Why's, and one with the column that said, Why Not's. <laughs> and they, like, sat there for a good while. And made up a pro and con list of having an affair. <laughs> it's, it's the 70s equivalent of making a PowerPoint presentation for all the reasons why you should have sex with me. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, Candy was kind of funny. Like, this was, the, the whole affair planning was so funny to me. <laughs> Honestly, I'm not going to lie. If I went over to a guy's house and he had, like, a PowerPoint presentation prepared to be like this is why I'm great in bed this I I wouldn't even have to go I would sit through the presentation because I appreciate presentations but like (laughs) you have me in the first slide yeah you made a presentation I would have been one (laughs) I would have been one over solely from the effort and the fact that you did it yeah especially like if there are transitions yeah 
Absolutely. There's transitions. There's well, like well, artwork. The lights on. Yeah. You wow. put a transition in there. <laughs> you put a transition in there. We're keeping the lights on. <laughs> yeah. Shout out to them though. Shout out to Candy for being like, hey, pros and cons. I'm gonna do that one day. <laughs> make this is what you do. You make a PowerPoint presentation, and every time you get a like on Hinge, just link it. <laughs> oh, that's a good idea. I'm gonna do that. Do I'm it. I'm gonna make a presentation this weekend. Do it. You're so good um, at making PowerPoints too. I love making PowerPoints. <laughs> you made if, a PowerPoint in like less I than have... five minutes when we did our fictional crushes PowerPoint night. Yeah. <laughs> and it was better than all of ours combined. I love PowerPoints. <laughs> I know how to work the PowerPoint like Microsoft tools so well. Like Whenever I was in high school, I would just, like, make PowerPoints because it was fun. I love PowerPoints. I'm a slut for PowerPoints. (laughs) Fuck yeah, PowerPoints. It's like a hobby. (laughs) So. That's like me messing with, like, the the, the editing softwares. Like, I'm always like, hey, let's, I was like, hey, let's start a podcast so I can edit something. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. I was like, fuck yeah, because then I just get to talk and no one could tell me to shut up. Yeah, and then I told you to edit one time. I wasn't that mad about it. The editing was fine. Oh, but you were kind of mad? Hmm? You weren't that mad? Were you kind of mad? No, it was more I was tired. It is tiring. It was really tiring. It's a and lot I was of like, work. how does she do this as a hobby? I want to go to sleep. I have fun. I, I also, fun. but I hate the sound of my own voice, so having to hear myself say something like eight times in a row. I was like, mmm, delicious. But, okay, so she she made the 70s equivalent of a PowerPoint presentation. Yeah. You can with candy. Um, and so, through this list, they decided that they would go through with the affair. But they made, like, they made a very specific list of rules on it. You presented your argument and I... I appreciate that. Yeah. Basically. I agree. <laughs> I concur. I concur. Let's do so, it. So, would you like to hear the list of rules they made for the affair? Yes. Cool, because I was going to tell you either way. <laughs> I um, knew you were, so at least so, now my consent is on record. <laughs> so, if either one of them ever wanted to end the affair, it would end. Right there. No questions asked. If anyone became too emotionally involved, the affair would end. No falling in love, got it. Yeah. If they started taking risks that shouldn't be taken, the affair would end. All expenses, like food, motel room, gas, it would be shared equally. They would meet only on weekdays while their spouses were at work. Um, Candy would be in charge of fixing lunch on the days they met so that they would have more time, like, they would have Alan's whole lunch period. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had a two-hour lunch period, what? by the way. I, I fucking wish. Same. How nice it would be to go to 
lunch and not have to like scramble, not have to like sneakily pull out your phone and order your food ahead of time for curbside pickup and then race to get there and scarf it all down and have a stomach ache for the rest of your shift because you ate so quick. Anywhere I worked, I, um, I did not give a fuck how mad they were. I would be like, they would tell me that I was going to be taking my lunch soon. So I'd be like, okay, let me order some food. And I would go to a computer or I would go on my phone and order food. And I did not give a fuck what they said. <laughs> I was like... I would either sneak off coming. to the bathroom or if it was really slow in the store. I'd stand at the register and do it. I just did it. I... What the are they assistant- going to do? Fire me? <laughs> the assistant manager understood because she did the same shit. It was the, the store manager that always gave me shit about it. Fucking Rachel. Fuck you, Rachel. Fuck you, Rachel. Uh, where was I? Oh. Um, oh, Candy would also be in charge of getting the motel room for the same reason, so that they would have all of Ellen's lunch. So I guess she would go there earlier and get the motel room mm. and he would just meet her there. Um, oh, so they could use the full extent of his lunch period. Yes. Okay. They would, okay. This scheduling was so hardcore. Um, Candy must have had, like, a color-coded calendar. (laughs) So they would meet on a Tuesday or a Thursday once every two weeks because Candy was free only on days when her son was attending the play day preschool at the church. Uh, She took him each Tuesday and Thursday from 9 to 2, but she figured she would need three out of four of those school days for all other errands and church and school duties that she was involved in. This bitch was busy. I was about to say, busy woman. Literally. Uh, so, So after they made all these guidelines, the affair officially began on December 12th of 1978. In July of 1979, Bethany Gore was born and her birth brought Betty and Alan closer together. So Mm. like their marriage was going pretty well at this point. Mm. In early June before Bethany was born, Alan suspended the affair so that he would be there for Betty whenever she went into labor. But, uh, Bethany's birth did not really change that much because in late July, the affair picked right back up. Mm. After, like, about a month of picking it back up, Alan was starting to feel uneasy about the affair uh, because he would spend all afternoon with Candy, and one night, Betty uh, started making advances toward him. Like, she was trying to, like... Have she's, sex with her she husband. She was, like, trying to initiate sex with her own yeah, spouse. Yeah, which was, like, unlike her. Like, she was, like, trying something new. So she was, like, really nervous about it. And he he was so tired from spending time with uh, Candy that he he couldn't perform for Betty. Oh. And it completely destroyed Betty. I, I like, can see how. it was hard for Betty to take that. Um, you get, like, you, like, boost up your confidence. You're like, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to yeah. do this. And then you get rejected. Yeah. That, that had to be a blow to the self-esteem. Yeah. And, well, and she had just had a baby, too. So, yeah. like, that's even worse. Uh, so, so he was, like, debating on ending the affair because he felt like literal shit for doing that. And I'm glad he felt like shit. Yeah, he should. 
Um, Candy didn't really like the suggestion at the end of the affair, and she started to grow, like, agnostic and cold during their weekly phone calls. Mm. Um, Betty and Alan, they finally decided to go to the marriage encounter together, and it seemed to really work for them. Like, they were doing, their marriage was going really great after that, and... Once they got back, Alan wanted to end things with Candy, but he couldn't really bring himself to, like, actually say it out loud, so Candy ended it. <laughs> so at first it seemed mutual. God, that's the story of my life. The amount of relationships <laughs> I've been in where I've had to be the one where I see that they're like, they don't want to do it anymore, and I'm like, hey, let's break up. I'm Alan. I wait for them to dump me. <laughs> I've done... In all of my relationships, I've been the one to dump. Um, I've always been dumped. <laughs> I've only had two boyfriends, though. <laughs> so. I've only had three. Track star. So, and in all three of them, I had to be, and just like in dating in general, I usually have to be the one to be like, uh, yeah, this isn't going anywhere. I just ghost them. I usually, I'm not gonna lie, on like the last couple of dates, I haven't even ghosted. I just like straight up stopped talking. Yeah. I just checked out and I was like, okay, we're done here. But, ow, felt that. I felt that for Candy, just in that like, okay, you're not gonna say it, so I will. Yeah. Um, well, Candy and Pat went to the marriage encounter thing, but it didn't really like, didn't do it for them? No, not really. It wasn't, like, life-changing like it was for Betty and Alan. Uh, so let's let's go to the day of the murder. This is a very long story. We're only on page three of six. Mm. So, so on June 13th, 1980, Alan left for St. Paul, Minnesota on a business trip. The, the trip was hard for Alan because Betty was afraid of being alone, even for one night, like I said before. But they had a plan... They had um they had a trip planned for Europe for the next week. And they were kind of describing it as like a second honeymoon. This oh. was going to be their first vacation in 4 years without the kids. Mm. And at this point they had they had two kids, two babies. Um the morning that Alan left, Betty was upset that he was leaving, but they like sat down and talked about it and she was feeling a lot better by the time he left. You probably pulled the whole, like, it's just gonna be for a couple of days, and then you get me all to yourself. This kind of, he was, like, yeah. telling her to think about, like, how they'll be in Europe in just yeah. a week's time, and it'll be amazing and everything, and she was, like, super excited about that. At the airport, Alan tried calling Betty, but he didn't get an answer, and he just assumed that she was on her afternoon walk with Bethany. So he boarded the plane and flew to Minnesota. Once he got to the hotel... He tried calling again, and he didn't get an answer. He had an operator dial the number, and still there was no answer. And this was, like, well into the evening when Betty would not have been leaving the house. Like I, like I said, she, like, didn't like being alone. She didn't like going out alone at night. Mm-hmm. And she, uh, she obviously would not, like, she wouldn't not tell people if she was leaving the house. Yeah. Like, someone would know. Um, then, so after that, Alan started getting worried, and he called his next-door neighbor, 
Richard Parker, and who was also their real estate agent that sold their house, sold them their house uh, three years before. And he asked him to go knock on the door and see if everything was all right with Betty. Richard knocked but got no answer, and Alan then called Candy and told her about the situation, and he asked if she'd seen Betty that day since uh, his daughter was staying the night at Betty. His daughter was staying the night at Candy's house with her daughter. Candy said that she hadn't seen Betty since the morning when she went to go pick up their daughter's swimsuit. And, uh... Betty and... She was... He, she's, she said that Betty was, like, well and alive. Okay. She didn't say well and alive. She wasn't encouraging uh, The herself. swimsuit is... She just said that Betty was doing great. Betty and, and his daughter's swimsuit, right? Not her daughter's swimsuit. His daughter's swimsuit, okay. sorry. I, I needed clarification because I was like, wait, what? Um, Candy put Alyssa, their daughter, on the phone, Alan's daughter, and mm-hmm. he asked her if she had seen her mother that, and, or if he knew um, if her mother had any evening plans. She said she couldn't remember, so he told her to have a good night and to be nice to the Montgomerys. Alan, Alan went to dinner, and then he went back to his hotel, and that was around 10 p.m. He started calling again. He didn't get an answer. So he called Richard again and asked if Betty's car was in the garage. Richard saw only one car instead of the two that were supposed to be there, so uh, he was like, Betty's probably out with some friends or something. Uh, some of the lights were on in the house still. But he was like, there's only one car. Betty must have gone out. Alan called the hospital and the police in the area if to see if Betty had had any emergencies. And none of them had ever had even gotten anyone with the name of Betty in that day. He called Candy again and she offers to go check for him, but he says that he'll call his neighbors again to go check. He then calls Richard again. Richard is like super annoyed at this point. Um, but he go. Richard goes ahead and checks again, comes back and he says that he finally noticed the second car in the garage um, and that it he didn't see it the first time because it was pulled so far up in the garage that you couldn't see it from the driveway. So Alan told Richard to get into the house any way he can. Like he was like, you can even like break a window, like all that shit. Richard agreed, and he, like, took his realtor keys to see if he might still have one for the Gore house. Alan called another neighbor, Jerry McMahon, to check as well, and he went, but Jerry's wife didn't want him to go over there alone because she thought it was sketchy, so he called his friend Lester Gaylor to come help him look. The Jerry and Lester did not know that Richard was over there already, and vice versa, so, like, whenever they all saw each other, it was, like, a Spider-Man moment. <laughs> what are you doing here? What are you doing yeah. here? So, so they were all looking for a way in, and Richard's keys didn't work on the first door, like, the garage door. Mm-hmm. So, he went to go check the front door while Jerry and Lester were gonna go check the windows. Whenever Richard went to unlock the door, he didn't even put the key in, and uh, it just swung open. It had been unlocked all day. Oh. Which was very, very unlike Betty. 
So they were looking around the house and everything seemed normal until Jerry came across the bathroom and he saw a dark substance on the ground. He immediately, he knew something was wrong and he told everyone else. So they were cautiously going through the house and down the hall, they opened the door to Bethany's room and they found her in her crib crying. Her, she was crying so much that her face was stained. Um, she had like, she was stained with like her own excrement and she had cried so much throughout the day that her throat was hoarse. Oh, that poor baby. Uh, Richard like immediately picked her up and he like bolted to his house and gave her to his wife and told her to call the cops. That sounded really sarcastic the way I said poor baby. I, I didn't mean it like that. I genuinely am like, oh no. Yeah, it was sad. How long had she um, been there? All, all day. All day. All day long. Oh. Um, Jerry and Lester stayed behind and they went through the rest of the house very slowly. They were turning on all the lights as they were going. And the further they walked through the house, the more pungent they could smell something. Mm-hmm. When they walked through the kitchen, Lester went to check the utility room, which was like connecting the kitchen and the garage. And he opened the door and then closed it as fast as he opened it. And he yelled at Jerry to not go in there and that Betty was dead. He hadn't even seen the whole body. He just saw, like, the huge pile, huge pile, the huge puddle of blood, and he just knew immediately. Like, there's no yeah. way someone survived losing that much blood. So, Lester picked up the phone to call the police, but Alan was already on the line because he, like, could not wait any longer. Like, he was anxious for an update. So, it was, like, the perfect moment. Like, they didn't even hear the ring. Lester, like, could not... He could not, like, get the nerve to tell it. Alan. So Jerry took the phone and told Alan that it looked like Betty had been shot. To which Alan replied that they didn't even own a gun. So immediately people were like, murder. Murder. Uh, so, so by her own report, Candy was the very last person to see Betty alive. And that made her the main suspect by police. Mm-hmm. Candy's alibi and relationship with the Gores seemed pretty airtight till Alan admitted to the police about the affair. And that's when the police found motive and they immediately arrested and charged Candy Montgomery for murder. She denied all charges. Most people didn't even believe that she did murder Betty. Uh, the church was, like, very vehemently supporting her. They would even send her, like, cards to show support to their house. Um, Candy hired a lawyer from church, Don Crowder, and he wasn't even, like, a defense lawyer. He usually handled personal injury work. Uh, but Don, he was, he was doing what he could, so he hired a Houston River Oak psychiatrist, Dr. Fred Fasson, to help Candy with her memory of the day that Betty was murdered. So Dr. Fasten was doing hypnotism with Candy, and during one of their sessions, she kept just saying, I hate her, I hate her, I hate her, as, like, he was asking her to go back to the day to being in the utility room with Betty. Sus. He went further back into her past, and he, like, found some childhood memories that were kind of weird about, like, her mother being not great to her, and, like, 
shushing her for, like, accidents and, like, basically just telling her to shut the fuck up. So, like, possible, very likely abuse and negligence or... No, it was just, like, something really, like, prominent in her childhood, I Mm. guess. Um, A traumatizing moment for her, a Tuesday for her mother. Yeah. Yeah. So, in court in October of 1980, Crowder stunned the jury by saying that Candy was pleading self-defense and Candy stood as a witness that very day. On the stand, uh, Candy wasn't a great witness. She was not, like, emotional or anything. Uh, She had very short, concise answers, and uh, her story on the stand didn't really follow what she had told Dr. Fasten, and he confronted her about it, and he forced her to admit the facts that she was, like, trying, like, she was trying to forget these things. So... Here's what, here's what actually happened. It's a doozy. So Betty hadn't been expecting Candy till noon, but Candy came early because it fits better with her schedule. And Betty was kind of annoyed, but she let her in anyway. And uh, she wasn't really planning on leaving the house that day, so she was wearing like tight red shorts, a yellow pullover tank top, and some sandals. Just like, not, so, not something you would wear out in public, just like... Yeah, like a, a quick gotta run to the like convenience store some like yeah like not even uh she had some coffee ready so they sat down for a little bit for coffee and candy asked if Alyssa could go see the new star wars movie with her family and betty said yes and she also agreed to let Alyssa stay an extra night and candy was over there to grab a swimsuit for Alyssa's swim lessons that day so betty wouldn't have to make any extra trips Mm -hmm. They chatted for a while, and Betty was telling Candy about the peppermint reward she gives Alyssa because Alyssa didn't like putting her head underwater, so whenever she did, they would reward her by giving her a peppermint candy. Mm. And after, like, chatting, Candy said that she had to get going and asked for the swimsuit, and that's when Betty got up and she asked Candy if her and Alan were having an affair. Candy confessed, and Betty walked out to the utility room toward the garage, and she came back in holding a three-foot-long axe. Uh. And <laughs> that's not okay. funny, but, like, it just, like... The imagery of, like, Candy just, like, chilling at the table, and then she just turns, just, like, and Betty's just, shame. like... Yeah. Holding an axe with her head crooked like, and, like, her knees pushed it. And, like, I'm getting, like, the full, like, axe man imagery in my head. And I'm like, that. <laughs> it, yeah. Got a present um, for you, Candy. So, so Betty told Candy that she didn't want to see her ever again and to just drop Alyssa off the next day. And then she propped the axe against the wall. Betty was, like, so Betty told Candy to go into the utility room and grab... Alyssa's swimsuit, she'll go grab the peppermints, Betty will go grab the peppermints while Candy gets the swimsuit, and Betty went into the utility room uh, to give Candy the mints and a towel, and Candy, like, put her arm on Betty, and she was, she told her that she was really sorry, and that's when Betty just, like, snapped. She threw Candy's arm off of her she grabbed the axe and she like rushed toward candy 
with the axe like holding it across her chest and she told Candy, you can't have him. Betty, not Betty, Candy grabbed the axe and they were both like holding it and she told Betty not to do it and that she didn't want Alan. Uh, but Betty, Betty told her that she's got to kill her. Like she, Candy had to die. They, Full psycho mode. Oh goodness. Mm-hmm. They wrestled with the axe, and the flat side of it, like, of the blade, hit Candy's head, and it split it open a little. Ooh. And Betty raised the axe over her head to try to hit Candy. Candy screamed at the top of her lungs and jumped to the side into a cabinet and just, like, sprawled a bunch of, like, little knickknacks and toys all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, the axe hit... The axe missed Candy, but whenever it hit the linoleum, it bounced up and it landed again onto her toe. Ooh. Yeah, that sounds... Goodbye, pinky toe. Sounds awful. Um, so Candy took the chance to grab the blade, and at this point, she was, like, pissed off. Like, she was, yeah. like, she was raging. Uh, rightfully so. Uh, You're there just to pick up a swimsuit. And, like, some peppermint. Your affair has been outed, and the How wife did... is trying to kill you. You're just trying to get the fucking peppermints. How did bro. Betty find out about the affair? Did her husband I actually her? have no idea. No I didn't find that, and I read, like, a bunch of different articles on it. So either she found out herself, someone told her, maybe husband told her. Hell if I know. I oh, have well. no idea. So Candy grabbed the axe, and Betty started jerking it around along with Candy... And she was, like, kicking and kneeing at Candy till, like, she moved her arms up to try to gain some leverage to get the axe back from Candy. And she bit Candy's knuckle. Ew. Ow. Uh, biting the knuckle threw her off balance, and that's when Candy, like, shoved her into the freezer door. And Betty slipped, and she was trying to get back up when Candy took the axe and raised it over her head and brought it down on the back of Betty's head. Mm. Uh, blood gushed out of Betty's wound, and she was still struggling to her feet. Candy was like, okay, that's it. Like, I just killed this person. So she was like, she grabbed the door and she tried to leave. And as she was like starting to open the door, Betty slammed her body against the door and shut it. She Damn, was, Betty is persistent. Dude, no, this story is like fucked up. This sounds like something out of a Hollywood movie. It's, yeah, that's probably why they made a show of it. Yeah, probably. Um, Betty grabbed the axe again, and Candy was, like, begging her to let her go. And that she, like, she was like, please let me go, I don't want Alan. And Betty was like, nah, I can't let you do that. (laughs) Sorry, Um, you have to die, that doesn't work. Yeah, no, that's literally, like, basically what she was doing. So they were continued... They continued fighting. They kept, like, grabbing the axe from each other. At one point, uh, Candy was able to, like, crack open the garage door. Yeah, Candy cracked open the garage door, but Betty slammed it shut, and she, like, pushed the lock in to lock it, which is why Richard couldn't open it. Mm. They went back to fighting over the axe, and Betty grabbed Candy's hair, and Candy fell down on the ground. Uh, Betty tried to raise the axe to her, but she was losing so much blood that she couldn't lift it over her head. And that's when 
Candy, like, grappled her leg, and Betty almost, like, sprawled over on top of Candy. So at this point, they were, like, on the ground fighting over the axe. It must be be slippery, too, with all that blood on the floor. It was. On linoleum. Yeah. Um, Candy, at this point, like, Candy jumped to her feet, and she tried to go for the garage door again, but it wouldn't turn. It was locked. And she turned back and she started begging Betty again that to let her go and that she didn't want Alan. Betty, at this point, like, put her finger to her mouth and she shushed Candy. And Candy, like, this set her off. She got triggered. Yeah, she got triggered. And she grabbed the axe from Betty and she tried to pull it back, but it was so covered in blood that she... Or, okay. Candy grabbed the axe from Betty, and Betty tried to pull it back from her, but it was so covered in blood that Betty slipped back and fell. She she launched at Candy again, but this time Candy lifted the axe, and she brought it down on Betty for a final time. Well, no, not the final time, but... For, like, a killing blow. The yeah. official killing blow. So, according to investigators, there was a total of 41 chops to Betty's head. Okay, Lizzie Borden. Uh, 40 of which were brought while Betty was still alive. Ooh. So. Ooh. Ow. Yeah. Hell of a headache. Ow. Uh, to some people, Candy's testimony seemed over-rehearsed, but that could be explained because she was going to these hypnotism sessions. Crowder even took the axe that was used and he was like walking around with it and he kept asking candy while she was on the stand if she killed betty with the axe and she kept saying like yes i did that like yeah i did and he went so far as to like he thrusted the axe at candy and she screamed so loud that her husband heard her 30 yards away so so candy's testimony ended on a friday the jury held final arguments on Wednesday. They found Candy not guilty that same day. So out of self-defense. Yeah. So she was found. Reasonably, I would hope so. She was found not so. guilty of murder for in the like stance in the self-defense. Good, because that's what that murder. was. It sounds like to me. Betty went. Hey, what? That's not the. That's not where I was thinking that was gonna go. I'm yeah, it's a lie. huge twist, isn't it? It is. I thought, like, I'm not kidding, for most of it, I was thinking that either Candy was going to kill her or Candy's husband. Really? Yeah. I was like, it's one of them. I was not expecting Mm. Betty to just, like, take a a sharp left turn out of nowhere straight to Psychoville. Yeah. Holy. Well, I'm glad that Candy was found not guilty because she shouldn't be. Yeah. But from from what you've told me, the whole thing is self-defense. Yeah, she went a little overkill, but... A little overkill, but I guess, well, I mean, like, survival instincts, you probably... It's really hard to... I would assume... I don't know, I haven't been in that situation. I assume it'd be hard to come out of it when you're like, this person's trying to kill me, I have begged multiple times to not be murdered, and they're still coming for me. Well, and I think that's what, like, helped Candy in her defense, too, because she tried to get away several times. Mm Mm-hmm. And... 
I know if, like, someone kept coming at me, like, I'm gonna make sure that they can't get up the next time I try to get out. Yeah. Plus, like, if she's trying it once, what's gonna stop her from going for it again? Yeah. Or, like, trying to do something to turn it around onto Candy. Yeah. So, might as well finish the job. I do have one question, though. Hmm. Which is, how, what, (laughs) why didn't she immediately report it as a self-defense? I think she was freaking out. Probably. I assume panic, like, but I'm like, I didn't know if there was, like, a reason behind it. Was she, like... I would think that it was just panic, because, like, she was covered in blood, and, um, she only had, like, a couple of scratches. Betty was completely chopped up. It was, like... I thought Candy had her... Bad. She had a split in her Yeah, she head. only had, like, two cuts. Oh, okay. On her toe and on her head. Mm. But Betty had... It was bludgeoned. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Fair. So yeah, that's that's the murder of Betty Gore. Well then, that was quite a twist. Right? That's not what I was expecting. Now I want to watch the show. I want to know how accurate they were. It's a pretty good show. It is? Yeah. How much, how much Hollywood liberty has been taken in it? I haven't finished it, but like, they mm. dramatized some parts, but it's still pretty accurate. Nice. Uh, yeah. Well, now anybody who's listening knows the story, so they can watch the show and compare. <laughs> yeah. Shout out to that. <laughs> so. Tis my turn. Yeah, what's your cryptid? So, you know the last time we recorded, I mentioned a certain, a certain aquatic cryptid? Yeah. Well, I have a question for you. Mm-hmm. Um, do you like frogs? No. <laughs> well, frogs are nothing new in myth and legends, as we well know. Uh, there's a long tradition in folklore of humans being turned into frogs, especially in Western storytelling, because being turned into a frog is typically a punishment, a curse received for hubris or greed. I mean, yeah, I would hate to be a frog. <laughs> Uh, frogs are often portrayed as bumbling at best, evil henchmen at worst. Shout out to Alice in Wonderland. Uh, not a creature you really want to be associated with. Um, so that's why this week I'm talking about the Loveland Frogman. The Loveland? The Loveland Frogman. Loveland Frogman. Is this in Florida? It is not. Fuck. It's in Ohio. Oh, I was so off. (laughs) Wait, who wrote Alice in Wonderland? Lewis Carroll. Okay, I was just making sure if you knew. (laughs) Why are you checking me? Because a lot of people don't know who wrote it. I have to know it because we share the same last name. And for, like, a good I asked you, I asked you that question two years ago and you did not know. Yes, I did. No, you didn't. Yeah, I did. I know that I did because I've always known Lewis Carroll. Then why did you say, I don't know? I don't remember this conversation, first of all. But I know I know Lewis Carroll. I know that asshole, because it was funny to me that he was high on drugs when he wrote most of his books. Dude, he took the worst mushrooms, too. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how he survived. So, big fans of D&D uh, may know Frogmen in the form of the Bullywug, Slad, or any number of depictions within the D&D world. 
but the average person may hear them in terms and think of, you know, Kermit the Frog, uh, Hippopotamus, <laughs> Hippopotamus Lovecraft, uh, is also one that comes to mind from his, his fun little book, Shadows Over, I think, what's it called? I don't know. I don't read H.P. Lovecraft. I don't know. Shadows Over Innsmouth. That's what it's called. Uh, Or the military term for divers. They're called frogmen. (laughs) Well, they do have little frog feet. They do. So, what if I told you that there was a cryptid that's just a big-ass frog doing weird shit that freaks out in Ohio City? It's just a big frog? Like, there's nothing man about him? It's just a big frog? Just wait. Yeah, it's a big frog, but they've got some weird shit to them that freak out the locals. I think just seeing a big frog would freak me out. <laughs> like, if there was a three-foot frog just out there in the fields, I'm running. That shit's scary. They're inside the city. Wait, the frogman is in the city? Yeah. Wait, Loveland's a city? Eh, yeah. I mean, it spans over three county lines, so... Oh, okay, yeah. It's a, it's a pretty good size. So... Well, within Loveland, this cute little city, Loveland, much like best boy Mothman, he is a local cryptid. Well, technically local cryptids. They, they are in groups. A local cryptid. There's that a has, flock of them? Yes. Whole herd. What do you call a group of frogs? <laughs> I don't know. Question of the day. <laughs> you can ask Alexa. No. No, do not bring Alexa into this. <laughs> So, the Loveland Frog Men, technically, is a local cryptid that's been active since the 1950s. So, a little bit about Loveland. Just outside Cincinnati, Ohio, the city of Loveland spans over three county lines, as I mentioned before, Hamilton, Claremont, and Warren County in Ohio, and is in very close proximity of the Little Miami River. It's had its fair shares of floodings, disasters, blah, blah, blah. Because of this, the most, noto- the most notable being the flood of March 1913, which took out a corn mill and washed out the Loveland Bridge. That's all it took out? Yeah. And that's the biggest flood they've ever had? Mm-hmm. Those lucky bastards. Right. Well, unlucky, because that does suck for them, but like... <laughs> like flashbacks to Hurricane Harvey, like... I mean, I've lived there like three hurricanes. Yeah, that's just... true, because you are your coastal. So, um, the Loveland Bridge was, in case anybody cares, it was later replaced with an iron bridge the following year. In 2010, the census put the population at 12,081. In 2019, it's estimated to have a population of about 13,000. Once a busy railroad town, Loveland is now a major stop along the Little Miami Scenic Trail, and it's poss- it's popularly known for its ski resorts and scenic trails. They had a small population spike in the 1950s, which may or may not... Oh, I love that the screen decided to scroll down at the wrong point. They had a small population spike in the 1950s, which may or may not have played a part in the creation of our creature. Known as the Loveland Frogmen, there have been sightings of multiples at once, so they're they're in groups. Fuel your okay. nightmares now. The Loveland Frogmen have... <laughs> oh my god, I can't talk. 
The Loveland Frogmen have had four official sightings, one in 1955, two in 1972, and one in as early as 2016. I know I say early. 2016 was how many years ago now? Like five or six. Five or six? Yeah. Six years. The 2016 sighting actually has a video uh, associated with it. Did you find it? Yes, I did. But it's likely a hoax due to its location being in a city, which, yeah, I have the video, by the way, so we can watch that if we want to a little bit later. So, Meeks, let me describe what this thing looks like to you. Described as being four feet tall, bipedal, and with the features of a frog and reflective eyes with webbed hands and feet, they are also said to be very wrinkly on the head and totally hairless with leathery skin. Duh. It's a frog. Leathery skin? leathery skin. So like a toad, I guess. That's not the... That's not leather... Frogs aren't leathery. <laughs> you don't have a leather bag of toad. <laughs> toad skin. So Loveland is a temperate forest environment with a ton of watersheds and wetlands that make up much of Ohioans' backyards. Ohio has some of the most abundant plant biodiversity in the United States, containing almost 32,950 acres of national parks. However, they have rough winters, so this creature is able to survive the cold winters in the region without having to hibernate. Um, Oh, also, they supposedly smell of almonds and alfalfa, according to encounters. Almonds and alfalfa. Almonds and alfalfa. Okay. That's oddly specific. Yeah. <laughs> this cryptid began its shows in the early summer of 1955. Exactly what month varies, but most sources say that it was roughly May. The first encounter has three different tellings. I'm just going to go with the most popular, which is a businessman saw three disturbing frog-like creatures near the Little Miami River on a bridge. I need to see what they look like. According to the witness... One of them was holding a long cylindrical object described as being a wand because the creature supposedly held it above its head and then light pulsed off of it and sparks came out of the end of it. Wait, he was holding a what? A wand. A wand? A wand. He supposedly watched them for several minutes before they noticed him and he said fuck this and skedaddled away. For almost 20 years, there were no further reports or sightings of these strange frogmen. Until, in the early 1970s, a string of encounters with local police led to the widespread knowledge and belief in a creature that would become known as the Loveland Frogman. I found a picture of the wand. Yeah. Everyone at home, look it up. The Frogman (laughs) of Loveland. Sounds like a musical. Oh, it's funny you mentioned that. The first encounter happened on a cold late winter night at roughly 1 a.m. March 3rd of 1972, Officer Ray Shockey was on patrol near the Little Miami River, driving slowly, when suddenly he spotted a mysterious animal in the road. At first, he thought that it might be a dog. However, Shockey's patrol car headlights illuminated the animal and witnessed some oversized amphibian-like creature crouched like a frog right in the middle of Riverside Avenue. The thing then stood up on its hind legs, barely reaching three to four feet in height. The being then stared at Shockey's patrol car, its eyes 
glowing bright as it reflected in the car beams. Moving with ease, the creature made its getaway, quickly climbing over the nearby guardrail and escaping to the river below. He like stood up and did like a little hop he... over it. That's so weird. <laughs> so two weeks later, on March 17th, St. Patrick's Day, another officer, Mark Matthews, had his own encounter with the creature. According to his report, while driving into Loveland, Matthew spotted what he thought was roadkill in the middle of the road. He pulled over and stepped out of his patrol car to move it from the road, but as he got closer, the body sprang to life, landing in a frog-like oh. crouch. <laughs> this startled Matthews, leading him to draw his sidearms and fire on the creature. Oh my, he just like straight up just took his gun out and started... Yeah. It's like that Danny DeVito meme. <laughs> pew, pew, pew. And yeah. just started blasting. I just started blasting. I love it. Some reports say he hit the frogman, but others say that he missed, by the way, when it came to his showing up. Either way, the creature quickly made an exit and headed towards the Miami, the little Miami River. It is important to note here that Matthew's alleged description of this creature matched the exact same description that Shockey gave two weeks prior. In some tellings, he even shot the thing and took it back to where the OG officer confirmed that it was the same thing. Uh, but for some reason, they didn't show it to anyone else. I mean... One okay. A- yeah, one area farmer told Investigations that he saw a large frog-like or lizard-like creature during the same month of the, so- of the officer's sightings. So I guess technically you could say there were five sightings, but like uh-huh. his couldn't be confirmed because it wasn't a close encounter. The reports of the 1972 frogmen had been hard on the witnesses. A local businessman who wished to not be identified in a 1985 newspaper story about the sightings said, Those two officers took a lot of flack about the new sightings back then. People made fun of them and the city. Which explains why Officer Matthews has somewhat taken back his tale in the years following. Oh. Years later, in 1999, during a local media interview, Mark Matthews explained that he was tired about talking about the frogmen, and that what he had seen was actually a large iguana. Why is there an iguana in Ohio? <laughs> I looked up, and apparently they are there. There's igu- There's wild iguanas in Ohio? Mm-hmm. That's where they come from? <laughs> Ohio? Ohio, of all places. What the fuck? There's iguanas in Ohio. There's iguanas in Ohio. But, at the time, both witnesses definitely saw something in an upright man-like lizard pattern about four feet tall. And then there's the matter of the sketch. Officer Shockey's sister drew up a sketch of his description of what the Loveland Frogman looked like Uh shortly after their experience with the creature, and it clearly looks like a giant frogman with a bi- like a bipedal creature frog thing. Yeah. <clears throat> During 2001, Weird Ohio did a follow-up investigation re-interviewing principals, including and asking Ron Schaffner about Matthew's attempt to pull back from his original story. So that's where they got most of the information about them being like, no, it wasn't real, it was an iguana. And for the most part, it died off. An iguana. An iguana. I'm more shocked that there's iguanas in Ohio. Kind of like playing into it a little bit. The city started like 
you know, touristy things started popping up oh, with things yeah. like relating to the Loveland Frogmen because it kind of gotten a little bit of notoriety and had kind of gone national yeah. at that point. 65 years after it began showing, in 2016, a man named Sam Jacobs and his girlfriend claimed that while they were playing Pokemon Go, very 2016. <laughs> uh, good times. <laughs> on Loveland's Man Madeira Road, I think that's how you say it, they spotted a huge frog at Lake Isabel in Loveland. You sure that wasn't a Pokemon? That's what I asked. I was like, bro, it's Is real life Pokemon. Is there a Pokemon? You whip out the Grandmaster Ball and you go for it. Is is there a frog-like Pokemon? Mm-hmm. Hey, I, I have That's no gross. clue what its name is, but I know that there's one out there. I don't like that. <laughs> the two claim to have witnessed it rear up on its hind legs. Jacobs even managed to get some pictures and a video, though with the low light situation, you can't make out anything in the video other than what appears to be large glowing eyes. I do have that video, too. Jacob says that... He knows what he saw, and though people think he's crazy, he's willing to stake his reputation on the validity of the encounter. He's even allegedly sworn on his grandmother's grave that what they saw was real. So I believe him. He means business. Yeah, a businessman. Yep. So, that's pretty much it. It exploded in popularity for the area, and the city very much plays into the frogman. They do mm-hmm. not have a Frogman cam, though, so they're not nearly as good as Point Pleasant with the Mothman cam. Well, the Mothman was stealing babies, so... That's true. The frogs were just running around freaking people out. So, some theories. The creatures are, well, whatever these creatures are, are perhaps aliens or ultra-terrestrials, that being beings that share Earth with humans, but for unknown reasons mostly hide their presence. And they are a kind of technologically advanced species, as they could manipulate electricity, apparently. So, oh, the, the wand. The wand. So, the Loveland Frogmen are not just giant frogs, but mild magic users from space or hidden within us all along. I feel like I saw that in a South Park episode at one point in my childhood. <laughs> Probably. It is an extremely popular cryptid, apparently. Really? When you go up towards that area. Oh. I think... Cincinnati especially really plays into it because Loveland is so close to Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. And Loveland in general, like every single shop there will have something involving the frogman on it. Like all the restaurants have like a meal named after it. I when I was that. doing all the research about it, like they really play into it. So you some frog legs. Yeah. Uh, another theory is that it was actually a giant iguana and was misidentified. There's even a suggestion that the sightings by the cops were inhibited by hallucinogenics or bathtub moonshine. This isn't. Uh, this isn't a very popular uh, theory, though. For some reason, can't imagine moonshine? why. Moonshine. I'm scared of that stuff. <laughs> uh, another theory is that it was a mutated frog. Similar reasons as previously stated. Following the 2016 encounter, there was a theory that tourism was down in Loveland around that time. So the Loveland government, city government, made efforts to bring it back. These efforts vary from staging to hiring someone to make this claim and stick to it. But they have zero reference to it on their website. Like, I checked the Loveland website. They've got nothing about the Frogman. And I was like, come on, guys. Well done. Like, Loveland doesn't even seem to want to be associated with it. 
Well, it does sound a little embarrassing, but you have a bunch of big frogs running around there. That's true. Sounds like like an issue. That's true. But that hasn't stopped locals from delving into the frogmen to sell merch, so... Um, Well, I guess take advantage. Yeah, I mean, interestingly enough, this interesting and skittish cryptid has inspired a local annual triathlon event called the Loveland Frogman Race that happens in every August. So do people do a frog hop for a whole marathon? God, I hope so. I really hope so. I would. For like a whole triathlon. Yeah, if I was in that, I would do a frog (laughs) hop. Uh, The final theory is the, you know, obvious, it's a hoax. There's a lack of precedent for a bipedal frog. Additionally, the frogmen live in Ohio, which is a very human populated region of the United States. The creature is only known to be in one specific region. And there is no Native American folklore of this creature that we know of. Who knows? Also, the creature from the Black Lagoon was released in 1954, just one year before the first sightings of the Frogmen. Oh, and Kermit the Frog made his first appearance on TV only a few months before the sightings began. Coincidence? I doubt it. The Black Lagoon creature. Yeah. Creature from the Black Lagoon. It's a movie that came out in 1954. It was really popular for its time. I've never seen it. I've, I've heard of it. I've never, like, yeah. done anything other than that. Mm-hmm. So that came out a year before the first sighting, and Kermit the Frog made his first appearance on TV only a few months before the sighting. So. God so, do you remember how you mentioned... You mentioned if the, if that the Loveland Frogman sounded like it would be a musical? Is there a musical... In May 2014, the Loveland Frog legend was made into a musical titled Hot Damn, It's the Loveland Frog. It had decent reviews. Just Hot Damn, It's the Loveland Frog, not Hot Damn, It's the Loveland Frog Man. Yeah. What? The rhyming, though. (laughs) Missed opportunity. The alliteration. I I want to see that. I want to see that musical too. It was really, it was great that you mentioned that because I, I was hope like, they ah, do ah. a little frog hop across the stage. I really hope so too. I hope that the main guy looks like, you remember the the frog mascot from Max Keeble's Big Move? Yeah. The frog, yeah. the Scottish frog. I really hope that that's what um, the frogman looks I like. I want to be like one of those hats, and they paint his face green, <laughs> and he wears one of those um, like in Lion King. Man. Oh. Those morph suits? Like the morph, morph suit. suit? I'd be terrified of that. I, That's like a high school I stage production. <laughs> so, That's hot, what I damn. hot damn the frogman. Wow. Tourism is really high, though, there, because a lot of people have tried to catch sightings oh. of the Loveland frogman. I don't know if I would want to see the frogman. I feel like they would just gross me out. We don't like frogs in general, so if you saw a four-foot-tall one standing yeah. on its hind legs carrying a wand, I feel like no you would threatened. just punt it. <laughs> you just, like, rear your leg back and I eat. wouldn't even leave the car. <laughs> hit him with the car, maybe. Hit him with the car. You can pull I what mean, the officer did. I don't want to, like, if it's, like, an alien or something, I guess I won't hit it with my car. What if, like, it comes back from me or... I don't even know who would let you hit the car because there were some things saying that a lot of the electricity in the town was acting really wonky around the times that the sightings happened. 
Which they supposedly can control electricity, so everybody blames it on the frogs. Damn, my power's out. Fucking frogs. I'm gonna say that next time the power goes out somewhere. <laughs> it's the frogs. It's fucking frogs, dude. <laughs> yeah, I told you that this one was really short. This one's a really short one this week. Well, that was good. I like the frog. The frog? Well, I don't like the frog, but like, it was a good story. Yeah. There's, it's, it was just funny to me. Yeah. I talked about it last week. Or not last week, the, the last time that I did a cryptid. Uh huh. Was the Loveland Frogman. Was a part of it with Bat Squatch. Yeah. And so I was like, I'll do that one because I don't know anything about that one. It's just a weird little urban legend. So. I was gonna be really mad if you were gonna do the Ahul. Ahul? Yeah. No. I'd be like, bro. I'll leave the I'll leave the sea monsters to you. The Ahul is a flying gorilla. Oh, really? I yeah. haven't heard of that one. Don't do that one. That's my cryptid. I got him from a quiz. Okay. That's the cryptid that I am. That's the cryptid that you Yeah, are. what cryptid are you? I got the Ahul. The flying gorilla. The flying gorilla. Yeah. That matches you. I think so. Because you get shocked even a little bit and you go, oh. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder which one I would be. I would hope that I'd be like oh some God. rabid hyena or something. I cannot believe that I did that at Chili's yesterday. <laughs> Yeah, you uh, did. At Chili's, a, a server had one of those big platters on the table, and she picked it up. It slammed. It slipped out of her fingers, and it hit the table, and it made a big noise. And my everyone jumped, and my reaction was to go, oh! And <laughs> the table behind me, behind us, they, like, stared at me. <laughs> And the server turned around, she was like, I just dropped the plate, and I was like, oh. Oh. <laughs> and then our friend across from me in the same table, she was like, she was like, it freaked me out, but she was like, I don't know why she made a noise, and I was like, dude, Paige, you make the fuck up. <laughs> oh my god. That was so funny. I cannot, I did that at a Chili's. <laughs> At a Chili's? Yeah. Hey, if you're gonna do it, do it somewhere nice. You always make noises when you get startled, though. Anything startles you, and, like, some kind of verbal <laughs> something has to come out. Did you just say Chili's is nice? I said it's nicer. <laughs> then, what, Applebee's? Yeah. Okay. It's a step above Applebee's. Applebee's is garbage. I've never been. Um, the one, $1 margaritas, though. 10 on 10, it is an experience to get absolutely blitzed at an Applebee's, I'm not gonna lie. Nice. So, well, so we discussed candy. Betty, yeah, candy and Betty Gore's fight. With a massive plot twist. Yeah. And the very small and kind of funny Loveland. Frogman. It sounds like a pretty big frog, honestly. It is four feet tall. It's about, it's, I don't know, is it the same height as the trash can? No, the trash can is like three and a half feet. It's taller than the trash can. It's like as tall as the counter. Oh, bro, I wouldn't even be. <laughs> oh, that would scare me. Yeah. In my head, I was imagining it to be the same size as the trash can. No. And I was like, oh, okay, a good kick will get rid of that. And I'm no. like, no, I'd actually have to fight it. 
It's like the size of a fourth grader. <laughs> Assuming it doesn't tase the shit out of me with its electric powers. It's, I mean, fourth graders are scary. I don't think I could win in a fight with a fourth grader. Oh, absolutely not. Kids know how to find your deepest insecurity without oh, even I trying. Mean, like a physical fight. A physical fight? I wouldn't just for the fact yeah. that I'd be like, I'm going to get arrested. I would fight a fourth grader. I know you would. Is there anything that you wouldn't fight? Um, my mom. <laughs> Your mom? Yeah, she would win. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. But Your mom's scary. Yeah. She's great, but she's scary. Yeah, she's pretty intimidating to people. Alright, huh? well that's that. This has been Criminal. Slash cryptid. Bye. Bye.